Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. And this week, it's Sadie. You know, David Anthony. What, Tim Crisp? I'm a little, I'm a little mad. About what? I had the, I had this all planned out. We've been doing this podcast, as you were a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. Been doing it for what? How many? Hundred and thirty weeks, something like that. Right about there, yeah. And I've had this plan the entire time. I said, the week that we talk about Sadie on As You Were, a a podcast about Alkaline Trio, will be the week where I say, Sadie is the last great Alkaline Trio song. Mm -hmm. They put out a great record called Is This Thing Cursed last year? Two years ago. Oh my God. God, I know, right? What the fuck? Um, <laughs> now do you feel old? Is this thing's curse? It's two years old. You know what? Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it's two year- no, years. No, I think you're right because it came out like late 2018. Anyway, they put out that record, and I said, "Ah, good record." Doesn't have a song that's on the Sadie level. And then last week on our podcast, as you were a podcast about Alkaline Trio, I hear this track fire down below, and I'm like, it's great! Oh my god! Five out of five! Now, do I look back on that moment and say, you were wrong? No. No. No regrets. However, really took away from my Sadie is the last great Alkaline Trio song. Well, I'm glad you bring this up, because this is a question I love to ask fans of this band, which is, what is the last great Alkaline Trio song? And, you know, I think I think Sadie is also, like, the last great Alkaline Trio song on, like, a what I would say is a great Alkaline Trio record. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that full package. I, I mean... Now week removed, I would say like I even probably underrated Fire Down Below overall. Yeah, what was that four out of five about? I don't know. I almost went four and a half. I like and then listened to it again. And I'm like, I don't know why I said four. I don't know why I hedged. Like it's a four and a half or a five. Like it's a great song, great song. But the song I point to, and I think I brought it up when we talked about this, is the song "Fine" from This Addiction, which I've always really liked. I think that song is genuinely really great and genuinely uh, does a thing that like they never really do again. But it's not like Sadie great. That's like that's a mm. different level. That's a different echelon. Um, and it's one of those that like I feel like it's the level of great where my uh, my girlfriend Nina she is not super familiar. Nina Corcoran. Nina Corcoran, who's been on uh, your show better yet. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. She's not a big Alkaline Trio person. Just never came across them, never really listened to them. And yet, 
there's you, still love. Still love. And Amazing. when we saw them at Riot Fest in 2018 and they played Sadie, she was like, this song's amazing. And yeah, it's pretty undeniable. Um, now she's a music critic. She is a writer. We went to see Joanna Newsom together. I listened to Joanna Newsom so much ever since that. So I'm fucking like, good. Oh my god, I want Those to text shows... Dina every time. Okay, anyway, anyway, Oof. anyway, anyway. Off topic. Back to topic. This is top two Ooh. Alkaline Trio song. Damn. Good boy, Tim Crisp. Top three. Top three. I would say for me, it's it's definitely top ten, possibly top... I mean, it's it's... A classic, and it's one that, like, man, when this song got picked and I went and listened to it, I'm like, I there's just nothing but good things to say about this. Everything about it is great, and I think the only thing that's, I, I think the thing that's super interesting to me is the fact that there is the version on the One Man Army split, which isn't massively different. It's mostly just performance and little production things. Mm-hmm. And if that was the only version of the song, I think I would still feel the same way. But the Crimson version is better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that the that the Crimson version is the best thing that comes out of their work with Jerry Finn. Um, also... I'd probably say that it's 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 up there with just like everything that that guy's ever touched. I mean, I can't disagree. Like, I mean, those are big statements, but I think like Jerry Finn was very good at what he did. Mm-hmm. And on the records where he really understood and seemed to work with a band and just like tonally understand them, he he created some arguably some of those bands' best records. Like I think of like Untitled by Blink One Eighty Two, which we've talked about before. Like he mm-hmm. really understood what they were going for and made that record sound really unlike a lot of other stuff. And I think this song in particular, like he really knew what they were going for and knew how to help them pace it and knew how to just throw little bells and whistles. And honestly, like that guitar tone at the start of the song is yeah. fucking incredible. Yeah. I ha- I made the exact same note um listening back and like I guess that's not something that I remember as well just because it's such a fucking mat riff mm-hmm. that you kind of just abs- I I don't know it absorbs in just like a yeah the tone at the beginning it's so fuzzy um borderline too much but Mm. that sweet spot is just so fucking i don't know i the first time i put this on getting ready to talk about it just like goosebumps the moment it started I mean, it's it's that it's just one of those songs for me where, like, yeah, I hear it and like I'm immediately sucked in. Like, this is one of those. I'm when it comes up, I'm never not in the mood for it. And like, 
thinking about that last time I saw him at Riot Fest and Nina having that reaction. I'm like, this song goes over huge live, which mm-hmm. is also kind of a feat in and of itself. Like, not to... I, I don't know. Like, obviously they have a lot of material that's, you know, in the four-minute range mm-hmm. that's earlier, but there's a little more oomph to it. And this is a really patient song. It builds. It's slow. It's kind of orchestral and ornate. And sometimes that can really not land when you're playing it to a Riot Fest crowd. And, like, people were, like, going nuts for this track. And Mm -hmm. I I think it just speaks to the fact that, like, they were really in a place at that era, you know, to Mm -hmm. be able to kind of build these things that, like, I think became fan favorites without really having... Or or even maybe crossed over a little bit without being like kind of straight ahead pop songs. You know, like mm-hmm. Mercy Me is maybe the closest. But that song's kind of got a weird structure, as yeah. we've talked about with uh, your best friend, Brendan Kelly, on a previous episode. Oh, my best friend. Um, skeleton Coast subscribe. Um, but like, you know, I love Time to Waste. Like, I remember hearing that the first time, like the first single being like, whoa. But mm-hmm. like... Yeah, I, I think I felt a little weird having heard the one man army split and then hearing the Sadie ver- or the Crimson version. I was like, oh, this is the definitive version of the song. Like, they perfected yeah. it. I'm usually not someone who's into re recording a song that's already been released, but this is like one example I would point to almost every time of like somehow they took everything great about the one man army version and like made it better. Like mm-hmm. performance wise, Matt's vocal performance on this thing is like, mm-hmm. I mean, just a fucking masterclass in him, like being so emotive and just like singing really fucking well, which yeah. is, it's, it can be hard to nail those two points. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's interesting the fact that this is on. The one man army split. It's also on Crimson. And those two releases are kind of my falling off points or big falling off points with this band. Um, but Sadie was the track on the one man army split that I was like, damn, that's a song. Mm-hmm. And Sadie was the track listening to Crimson where I'm not so certain about this. And I'm here at that one and just saying, Wow. Yeah. You know, like this is a song that I think puts it puts you in a place that not I don't think any other track that they have like has the scope, the lens as wide as this one. This is a like this is a song that kind of just reaches a big point of triumph. Mm-hmm. Um it feels very I don't know, cathartic in a like driving away or, you know, big driving shot in the movie. It's a really, it's a really, really beautiful piece of work. Um, Yeah. And I mean, I've always felt like it could be that end piece. I mean, even the song as a whole, but that end part is and it sounds so fucking corny but i'm gonna say it anyway it's so cinematic it's so Mm -hmm. sweeping like it should have been in a movie score 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it feels like a whiff that it didn't get put somewhere. Um, yeah. Maybe it did, but if it's definitely something that's not big enough to be on either of our radars. Mm-hmm. Do we know who scored it? Because I know that I know that uh, my best bud Brendan said that Derek does a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. um, for the band, but th- I think that there's I don't want to cast any dispersions, but the the way that that score moves in just the harmonies that it hits feels like it comes from somebody who's a little bit more bookish. So I don't want to give like credit where credit would not be due. I think I'm doing a great job stalling. While yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know what you want to say, which is, I mean, it. I believe it came probably from him, but with the caveat, the fact that like, that end piece feels like it not a thing that any one of them would land on independently mm-hmm. without potentially working with either the other two members or Jerry Finn, if I'm going to be real. You know, I think that, like, to me, maybe the biggest corollary um, between this song and anything else that Jerry Finn has worked on is probably Adam's song. And mm. Adam's song definitely starts at a much more like mellow place. You know exactly what you're getting into the moment you hear those like first two notes. True. Um, but the best part of Adam's song is the bridge and leading back into that last chorus. 100%. And I think that that's, that's what Sadie is, except it doesn't hit a last chorus. Um, at least not vocally. Yeah, it it just goes into the woes to kind of mm-hmm. carry it with the music, which like normally is such like woes can be such a bad decision. Yeah. Um or such a cheap decision, rather. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily bad. Like people can really fucking pull them off. Um But yeah, I mean I think that's that's a good comp. Like Adam Song, it's funny you bring that up because Nina and I were driving somewhere a couple weeks ago and that song came on the radio. And she she loves Blink-182, and she's like, oh, I never really liked this song. And I was like, really? Like, I have always enjoyed it, but it wasn't until listening to it that time that, like, the first two-thirds really does kind of lag. It's just in that one mode, mm-hmm. and I like the pieces, but it really needs to get to that bridge and that resolution quicker, because it's, it's starting from such a heavy-handed place. And that sounds like a dig, but, like, it's it's really trying to be like, this is our serious song, you yeah. know? Totally. But it's the piano is what drives the bridge. And yes. like there, there, there's no way that, uh, that Mark Hoppus was like, Oh, I got, I got it. Like that's the, that's the hand of the producer. And mm-hmm. I think that like the way that that bridge stretches builds up oh, that drum roll. Well, yeah, that drum roll also is a perfect example of like one of, in my opinion, why I think that song is good is that mm-hmm. song is one of the few times that I feel like, Travis Barker is grooving because mm-hmm. for as good as he is, he's a very like rigid player. And mm-hmm. that song, I think he's a little more open. He's not trying to fill in all the space all of the time. And that drum roll up is like one of his most tasteful moments. Mm-hmm. There are not many to point to, <laughs> um, but to, to 
draw this counterpoint and like i it always feels kind of goofy to always compare them to blink 182 but obviously matt is in blink 182 and a few years ago i wrote a thing about how i think untitled is the record that like made a lot of bands try and make those jumps Mm -hmm. and i really think without a record like untitled i don't think that crimson is like no they're untitled but i think a lot of the production stuff i think it gave them some free reign Um, totally and i think that like on this record you're seeing them be like no we can put this like really beautiful key part over the bridge we can do these things that like Mm -hmm. we've never done and alkaline trio had the benefit of like i was saying they had ridden slower softer material from lp1 you know so it's not that big Mm -hmm. of a deviation it's just like a lot more tools in the toolkit um and i think that's what really makes a song like this work and um to to talk about derek briefly well derek and dan because i've not brought either of them up really so Uh far those bass hits dan does at the start of the end of the song Uh uh-huh are genius yeah i don't know how he conceptualized that being the right thing to do yeah he does a lot of cool shit on here like the way he kind of like just picks up on notes and then just like lets he lets a lot of open space but he his hits are like real chunky Mm -hmm. and they're groovy as fuck too yeah and like when Derek kind of quietly like hits the notes like hits the stops and then Mm -hmm. at the end like gives that little extra like push is just like such a weird thing but you know what i was going to say that like i I think is really kind of a testament to like them just knowing what to do is like derek has uploaded some like archival um alkaline trio stuff to his youtube page which i've mentioned before and one of Mm -hmm. them is i guess the band like self-produced a music video for this song but like Mm -hmm. the one-man army version so it's just the three of them and their old practice space Mm -hmm. like playing it and it's so wild to watch them because with all the crimson material, I have the crimson imagery in my head where they're like wearing suits and like frilly right. shirts and like yeah, top yeah. hats and Derek has a monocle and like it's a whole mm-hmm. fucking deal. Um, but it's really weird to just watch them. And it's like, oh, Matt's wearing like a damn shirt and Dan's in like a striped long sleeve uh-huh. shirt and Derek just looks like a 22 year old nerd uh-huh. and they're playing this fucking song. Like it, yeah. it's just so weird to have like almost a peek behind the curtain of like, Oh, like they were just three dudes in a room writing this at one point. That's weird. This song is really the, the time that I think that this band felt like they were, like subsumed into like the larger than life rock and roll that was just coming out of the speakers, right? It's always mm. bigger. It's always bigger than you. But when it's punk, it's like, you know, there's a dirtiness to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's, here's cheese count number like five or six, I'm sure at this point, but it's seriously just like, that end part it's like they're like flying off into like something greater it's like 
if this was the Alkaline Trio song that like made them famous, it would have been just like, there you go. Yeah. You're like you're off into into the netherworld now. Like you're you're a part of eternity. And it's funny because it does feel like it has such kind of crossover appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this will be a strange reach, but it came up today and I listened to some of it. It's got like a like punk rock Coldplay vibe. Um, yeah. And I mean that not to be dismissive because I think Coldplay wrote some very good songs. First two albums. Yeah, where, like, you can't listen to, like, The Scientist and not be like, well, that's a fucking song right there. Uh Um, And it's kind of that, like, that same slow building catharsis. And, uh, you know, I've always kind of wondered why this wasn't a single over some of the other choices. Like, Mercy Me feels like an obvious one. Mm Mm-hmm. Time to Waste, I, I get, especially as, like, first single, but, like, this really should have been one they led with, and it's kind of weird to me it didn't happen. I think that the world was not ready for the Skiba files. Well, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> this song is about Susan Atkins of the Manson family fame. Um Sadie was a, a name given to her by Charles Manson. It comes from the Beatles song, Sexy mm. Sadie, on what is known as the White Album. Um, interestingly enough, I was in a class uh, in my senior year of high school called Lawn America, and it was pretty much a blow-off like, senior course because it was like, you know, taught by a guy who didn't give a shit, um, we spent a month just talking about serial killers mm-hmm. and it's just like fucking who cares? Yeah, sure. Um, also like, I'm like kind of weird cause I have this like sort of like fascination with serial cl- killers. I know that's like super morbid, um, but it's a really unique thing about me. It's well, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, as a nerd who really likes, like, Lord of the Rings and, like, Marvel movies, like, I can really relate to that. Just, like, having these, like, off-kilter, like, not normal interests. So, yeah, I, I totally understand. Um, you know. But Sadie is sort of like the, um, kind of like the Iron Man of the Manson family. Uh-huh. Um, that, th- th- that... Uh, that's a. We should start another podcast like about the Manson just... family. Yeah, um, um but... that's where apparently that you've got to have a serial killer podcast to make money. That's what you got to do. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is also interesting to remember how much of uh, Charles Manson's belief in the racial holy war was tied to the Beatles. Um, and, and, and let me put this out there. I have no problem with anyone having an interest in serial killers or Charles Manson, but like the kind of like cultification of Charles Manson is dumb as fuck. Like people who are like into Charles Manson 
Mm-hmm. Are you like a racist idiot? Like, <laughs> boom, that's what it is. Um, so let's just put that out there first and foremost. Uh, we, but I don't, don't like Charles Manson. Anti, anti mm-hmm. people who are like into uh, racial holy wars. That's not a thing I support as a person. I hope you don't either. Uh, if you do, uh, send Tim and only Tim an email. Um, <laughs> but what I'm going to say is I do not think this song is glamorizing it in the way that other no. pieces of work are. I think this is genuinely the best version of the Skiba Files because Matt understands the weight and gravity and is presenting it in a way by focusing on Susan Atkins that shows like how this manipulative shitty guy like made this person go out and kill people and having that like spoken word part from Heather in the bridge mm-hmm. really spells it out. I think too, that the fact that it's Heather, um, I find that to be just like, I don't know. A really just nice little um, souvenir for mm-hmm. all of it, just with what she managed to like do for this band as yes. an artist to have her um, documented in that spot. I think is very very cool. Uh, it it, uh, it just makes you feel kind of warm. Um, I I think that you're right though. I think that this reads so much as like a very true like identification with Susan Atkins who was brainwashed by a narcissist um and yeah the where he doesn't take it is important where he does mm-hmm. take it is important um i guess i kind of liken it to like a good biopic, you know, you get Scorsese making a movie like Raging Bull where it's like what he sees in that story is absolutely perfect and his expression of it is absolutely perfect. And I think that, yeah, this is something that Matt doesn't really thread this needle like often um, and never this gracefully. I mean, it's tough. And I think like even just sitting here thinking about the lyrics to this song, it's really exceptionally well-written lyrically. Like usually, you know, and, and we've talked about this in his best songs and, and sometimes there are lines that kind of stick out and you, you kind of come to love them because mm. they're so weird. But just every thing he's honing in on and everything he's saying is just like, literally like his best example of like being serious and streamlined without like letting that those stuff come in and like he can take those like you know white coat line in the chorus and which is kind of goofy yeah but not really it just it really fits the mood like he's choosing details and his word choice is like as considered as it's ever been mm-hmm. um and, and i think that's it's part of what makes this song work is that like, I think for a lot of people, 
in the case of like a lot of what I think good, what good pop songs can do is, you know, all the words, but you've never thought about them and internalized them. You just know all the beats and know how to sing along. Mm-hmm. And that's the closest I think they get to that, you know, yeah. where it's not a like cringe where it's like last good thing I ever saw. It's not a nose over tail. It's not even radio where like those, th- the, the lyrics are so forefront mm-hmm. that you kind of can't miss them. Yeah. This one, I think they just kind of like really sit nicely into the song and kind of sink almost into the background where you're just focused on the whole melody and movement that I, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if people have some of those lines, uh, slip past him. Like, I mean, I think that second verse is expertly written as anything he's done. Yeah. Just sit there, make them thankful for every breath. Mm-hmm. It's, I think the way that his like narration kind of like weaves is really cool too. You know, mm-hmm. it's like addressing her, um, almost in a way that like Manson would, um, but then pulling back and really empathizing with you're going to take the hit here. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think that like the fucking, the beauty of like the way the words sit too is, you know, this, it's a chorus that comes in like on an S sound, like mm-hmm. Sadie G, she's crazy, see, and it kind of gets washed up because you hear there's a lot like pumped into that chorus too. Mm-hmm. There's um, layers, baby. Yeah, so many fucking layers, and all of them sit really well. It's like a really nice bed, and then there's just always like kind of a swirling element throughout that by the time you get to the strings you're really swept up in it and then you have that guitar that's just like kind of oscillating around just playing one note Mm -hmm. um yeah it's magical this song is pure magic yeah i mean i and there's just it's one where like there's so much to discuss I feel like we've touched on basically all of it, but it's one of those where like, I feel like there's always something more to kind of unravel with it, which is just wild. Like there are just certain songs like that to me. And I'm going to draw this corollary, which is maybe a little cheap, but whatever is like, this is kind of how I feel about like certain songs of like, dear you, where it's like, I could analyze Mm -hmm. accident prone for 20 fucking years and keep going. And and this kind of sits in that same thing where it's just like a band kind of at a time where like they could have only done this if they fully a had the material, but believed in it enough and did not hedge. Like, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, sometimes good art comes from like cutting it down, editing or like removing the more, you know, indulgent tendencies. Mm hmm. But I think a song like this is a testament to like when you are confident and it's there and everyone is fully committed, like you can really make something that is like fucking special. And and this is one of those that just like I I really think that like, yeah, if it's if it's not 
a favorite of someone's, I would, I'm so interested in why, because to me, it's just, it's hard for me to see what a negative reaction to the song would be. If you're into the band, if you're not into Mm. this whole type of thing, yeah, I get it. But like, I genuinely do think it's, it's, it's really unlike anything they've ever done again or, or tried to replicate. And maybe that's for the better. Cause if they were just trying to go back to that, well, maybe it would make it less special. Mm-hmm. I think that it's really the, the only song that they have that just transcends pretty much every level. It, sh- it should be better than a song that's about a member of the Manson family. It's, um, it's bigger than Alkaline Trio. It's this thing that just gets like swept up and we think of it in cinematic terms. It's all, it's all like hitting a level that's, that seems like it's above the one that you're on, the plane that you're on. And yeah, I think that that's, that's as high as you can get. I mean, what the fuck else are you going to do? Yeah, what do you do? I'm leaving this plane. I'm off into eternity, baby. Yeah, I'm going to go make Agony and Irony and then several Secrets records. That's... Dude, this song has to just... I think that that's part of thinking about it in the way that I... I have since forever. Like, just being like, ain't gonna top that yeah really ain't and it's it's unfortunate for crimson as a record because it never it never it it keeps up but it doesn't come close i mean it's just what do you do like you can't i think the the uh, you almost need a breather after a song like this and i think you need like the room into it which is why I reach for that like jawbreaker reference. Cause it feels very dear you to me where it's like, mm-hmm. we're going to do it. And then the next song is going to be not anything like that. Cause yeah. we understand. Um, and you know, like I, I think that's part of it. I think that's what makes it special. And I, you know, to go back to an earlier point, like maybe if it became a single and became this big overplayed hit, like maybe I would be fucking sick of it. But instead, like, I've just basically had 15 years of, like, man, isn't this, like, the fucking coolest song? that, like, yeah. You know? And it's one where I, I feel it, it bisects a lot of fans, like, new, old, whatever. Like, I, I think this is, you really have to be trying to deny what this song is, mm-hmm. like, to not give it its due. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that that's totally on point. And... You know, I also think that what does, I do think that like what keeps it from being a single is the subject matter. And for that, I think you got to be pretty thankful that Mm -hmm. they did do that because it could have been, it could have become something that we're sick of. And instead it's just like, wow, we have this. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that's that you're totally right. It is a subject matter choice. I think it's also probably like there would have probably needed to be a radio edit, and I don't imagine that being any good. Mm-hmm. Um, realistically, you would have missed. You would have missed all the harmonics. Yeah, I mean, you just I, they would have truncated they the bridge. Pitch harmonics. <laughs> um, 
but also like if this song was about anything else i don't know if that i don't know if that end would feel earned and i think that's the big thing is like if this was just like a generic love song it would feel really kind of hokey it would feel like it's trying too hard if he was even singing about charles manson like as the subject of the song i think it would just kind of suck and feel weird and be like i don't feel bad for this guy but it makes you almost feel bad for someone who is not who is a victim but not a victim in that's a really interesting bit of sleight of hand that he pulls off um mm-hmm. to make you empathize for someone who did horrific things but was sucked in by this cult leader essentially yeah. um and that the ambiguity fact, is fucking real yeah you just have to sit with like what kind of the emotional part of that situation is. And, um, yeah, I I just, man, what other fucking songs do that? I mean, I think that something that we've, we all but have expressed explicitly, um, is the fact that nobody else could have written this song Mm -hmm. and nobody else would have written it the way that they did. And, um nobody fucking striving for it uh would have done it this way yeah i agree so what do you rate it you know i mean i feel like this is a this is a five baby i i agree yeah five five out of five Mm -hmm. five out of five um this is our podcast. It's called As You Were a Podcast about Alkaline Trio. We started it so that we could do episodes like this. Yes, and exactly. It's been a fucking ride. Um and damn worth the wait. I love you, David. It's been a ride. It has in fact been a ride. We are so close to 130 episodes. We have 130 episodes. We do? Yeah. Oh, well. Every week we put out an episode and it says the episode number. But I thought last week was 128. Uh, I don't... Well, I don't know exactly the number. See, then I win. Well, I mean, with Patreon, we're well ahead of that. Was it like 130? Like, is that the end goal? Oh, That's what I don't get. It's just nice to have is round that numbers. Is your benchmark? Yeah, that's I mean, like oh well, we have 130 episodes. We can sit back now. Yes, I'm, that, look at me sit back. Yeah, well, that's cool. Um, I would sit back, but this chair is broken, and that's fine. I picked it out of the garbage can. Um, we have a Patreon, Patreon.com/slash. As you were, we give lots of dumpster diving tips out there and other bullshit but um we 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 do it because we like each other uh believe it or not and i have a joyous time each week especially weeks like this where it's just like we get to talk about the fucking greatest band once Mm -hmm. a week just for the hell of it we're gonna do it again next week and my word we will see you there